they get so disappointed in themselves because they've worked so hard and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's the, the world show. And I'm like, take this anger and make it good. Like, don't let this happen at world. If this made you this mad at my house, think of how much is going to make you mad at the world show. So turn it into a good thing. Turn it into a aggressive thing. Think about how disappointed you are in yourself and know that you can do better and do better there. This doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So it does. It shakes out all that crap. So they go and they're like fired up. on the rail at a jog please on the rail at a jog welcome back everyone to another episode of on the rail podcast today's guest is actually super exciting we're going to be talking about her achievements and you know her journey to becoming a multiple world champion trainer so without further ado i'll let laney introduce herself and we will go from there well, now I have to talk about myself. <laughs> My name is Lainey DeBoer. I'm from Forest Lake, Minnesota. I primarily do hunter jumper, but I specialize in all English events, hunt sea deck, hunter hack, working hunter, equitational offenses, and working hunter under saddle, which is my little baby. So yeah, and I'm a 25-time world champion myself, and we've won well over 60 world championships and Congress <laughs> wow. championships and all arounds and you name it, we've done it. So it's been fun. Did you grow up? I assume grew up in the hunter jumper world, but was that in quarter horses or was that in the norm? I don't want to say the normal hunter jumper world, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, actually it's so funny. Cause I didn't even really know that the AQHA hunters existed. I had a quarter horse pony growing up doing pony hunters and HSA, which is now USCF, but I didn't know much about it. I knew Colleen McQuay and she did some stuff on the side, but had no idea. And then when I got out of college, I got a call from a guy from Montana and he's like, Hey, I've got this AQHA program of hunters. And would you come and be our head trainer? And I was like, I have no idea what that meant. I I mean, I was like, are we going to run barrels? Are we going to jump barrels? Like, I, I really didn't know. And then my first show, I was shocked that it was exactly what I was doing, just quarter horses. And that's kind of how I was introduced to it. To back up just a step on the purpose of this interview. So who knows when this comes out, but a month, two months, three months ago, yeah. Lainey had put a post on Facebook about if anybody would be interested and her doing TikToks of all things, which is not my specialty, but <laughs> of her world show prep for the youth world that's coming up. And we'll have obviously started by the time or finished by the time we get this episode out. But kind of what was your idea behind maybe doing a video series on this? And how did all that come about? Well, in a very weird way, I have a friend that's a dog trainer and she called me up and it's like, oh, have you heard of this Patreon site. And I'm like, no, I have not. And she's like, oh, I'm doing great with my dog videos. And I think it would be such a fun thing for you. And I was like, okay. And so I looked at it and it was kind of intriguing, but not totally interested. And then I just floated it out on Facebook to all my friends. I'm like, what would you think of I did this series and you know, would it be well-received? And they all just kind of went a little crazy. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. That'd be amazing. Oh, we'd love to kind of have a little insight into your program. And I was pretty shocked actually. And I thought, okay, I'll dip my foot in the pool. And yeah, it's been pretty amazing and confusing and stressful and all of that, just getting it out there, but so exciting. And it's been a great process for me as well to kind of revisit why I do this and how I got there. And it's been really fun, but yeah, it's been quite the journey. So I don't know. It just kind of morphed into what it is today. So we'll see. Speaking from an amateur, pure amateur competitor here, I wish it was something that more trainers would actually consider doing. And even in all events, it's, I think we all 
those of us that, you know, work with trainers, like we know the programs we're involved in, but we're all curious, or even if you're a do it yourself or whatever, like we want to see some of the behind the scenes and like what really goes into this and what maybe are we missing and so it's cool. And I well, and I know it's not easy and it does take time. We were talking about this before we hit the record button that these videos that are a minute, two minutes, three minutes long seem really short and easy to put up there, but they're not quite that fast when you're shooting them. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's kind of fun because I'm hoping that I can bridge the gap with the hunters have been kind of dying at the AQHA. And in the end, I'm hoping that I'll have enough interest in this that they're non-AQHA people that I can kind of help teach them about the AQHA. Like, hey, this is how you get ready for a championship show. But have you ever thought about going to the AQHA world or the Quarters Congress or AQHYA or what is that and what do they have to offer and NSBA? And whenever we talk about NSBA with some of my hunter friends, they're like totally surprised about that the NSBA world lets warm bloods in and they've got these trophies and all this stuff. So that's kind of my goal in the end is, you know, just trying to find a way to have a grassroots movement back to AQHA because our numbers are kind of going down and that's kind of my way of giving back, I guess. That's the end end goal. That's really cool. And I know NSBA has definitely made a push in the you know past several years to incorporate the the hunter jumper side of things obviously with what they're doing in Florida at the WEC and everything so yep. you would hope yep. that would we could get some of the crossover there to the AQHA side and I'm always really really impressed by the AQHA hunters or there's just I think polished and good horses and I think there's a lot there that the normal hunter world probably doesn't appreciate. They just think they're stock horses, like you said, in the beginning, like running barrels and that type yeah, of thing. Yeah, and but. when I go to a hunter show, I have so many people that are like, that's not a quarter horse, is it? I'm like, yes, it is. And they're like, no way. And I said, this is the modern quarter horse. You know, you're thinking of something completely different that maybe is in the 70s, you know, but this is an athletic beautiful, balanced, great moving, great jumping, beautiful lead changing. You know, they're just so surprised how well put together they are and they're competitive with the warm bloods. And I think also, you know, people see these horses and are surprised. And then when I tell them about EQHA and how fun it is and all the programs that they offer and and same with NSBA. And well, the incentive fund used to be really cool. They'd be like, no way you get money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was really cool. But just, I think it's kind of like a new world to some people that haven't discovered it yet. And I'm hoping that I can help them with that. What was it like when you, you said you graduated college and then got offered that spot training? What was that transition like for you? Did you find it interesting, intriguing, like you think these people today are finding our quarter horse hunters? Yeah, it was a nice breath of fresh air. You know, I had shown USCF my whole life and now I was with kind of this whole new group of people. And I actually, it opened my mind up a lot, you know, like all of a sudden I'm seeing Western riders and trail and roping and at the same show. And I just thought it was such a nice departure from what I'd been doing. And I was young and kind of open to new things. And I just was so grateful for meeting this, you know, group of people. It's a very, I don't know, down to earth people. I just, it was kind of my tribe, I guess. I kind of found my tribe. Does that make sense? Definitely. So do you yourself still participate in the USCF? hunter shows outside it. I assume you do more than just the AQHA circuit stuff. Yep. I do both. I've kind of found a balance, you know, mainly because the hunters have gotten pretty small in the AQHA and I've had to find a way to kind of reinvent myself and the sales are really good in USCF. So I do do both, but I like bouncing back and forth because kind of when you're a little sick of one, you go to the other and you mm -hmm. kind of bounce back and forth. And it, it's a good way to keep you know, a little bit of a fresh look on things, I guess. You don't see the same people week after week after week. Is there any one thing or do you think that stand out to you as differences between, say, you take your quarter horse to, a, you know, the AQHA hunter circuit versus a USCF hunter circuit? Is there much difference in how it's judged or the type or any of that type of stuff? 
There's like little things, little nuances in like the hunter hack. Like we don't have a hunter hack at USCF, but even in the under saddle part, I probably ride it a little differently than in the AQHA than I would USCF. But the scoring system's identical. And as far as the overfence side, and the only thing that's different with USCF and AQHA is the the week is set up differently. The pros show early in the week and the amateurs and the youths show late on the week. And the AQHA shows, you know, they do it all together in one day. So that's a little bit of an adjustment where you kind of go every other day versus five days straight, but you kind of have the horse to yourself and then you kind of hand it over to your amateur youth. So there's just like little, little things like that, but it's pretty much like they still look the same and go around the same and everything like that. Before we jump into what your training program involves, I did want to touch briefly on the working hunter under saddle because I know you said that was your baby. And I think you were very important in getting that established with AQHA. So you want to give us an update kind of on where you think that class is and how it's going? And are you happy with where it's at right now and any trends going forward? Yeah, it's going so well. It was so well received. I honestly thought that it would take a little time to get off the ground and Right away, people just dove into it. I, I'm trying to think of last year, I believe we had over 50 at the Congress in the open and the amateur and or the non-pro in the open. I can't remember how, oh, they did, they broke it up, open, amateur and youth. And it was huge, huge. So it's very well received. It, I'm so thrilled with it. People like it. People like watching it. They have fun with it. It's doing exactly what I wanted it to do. And it's doing it a little quicker than I even thought. I thought it would take a couple of years, but it just hit the ground running and everybody just enjoyed it a ton. So I would like to make it a part of the all around at the world show. Right now, it's not considered a part of the all around. And I would like to change that. But yeah, I think it just has to take time. It just takes a couple of years. So I think I saw it in the might have been the first year it was at NSBA first or second for sure but i think the first year and it was pretty good size there wasn't it yeah it was huge yeah. yep it was yeah. so it's been really really solid just so exciting and i think it's fun because there's some trainers that are finding they can show horses in the working hunter under saddle and then they can show a whole nother group in the hunter under saddle so it's good for the industry too you know you can keep multiple people happy doing different events you know kind of the same thing but in different venues so I think it's really helped people develop their horses for the under saddle as well. So it's it's pretty cool. And I think one last thing I want to point out was there was even like a good crowd watching it and very in, like actually involved in the class, which is fun to see because for our rail classes, we rarely see people getting to, you know, like excited about what they're seeing out there. So that was neat. Yeah. My favorite thing was when like you were leaving the stands and people were like, that was so fun to watch. And that right there just like did it for me, you know, that made all that worth it because that is exactly was our goal. So the horses look happy. They're forward. This is what this should be, you know, and, and I just was like, yes, exactly what I was (laughs) thinking of. (laughs) So it's been fun. For all those that may be behind on the bit here, do you want to just give in your words, like what people should be looking for in this class? So we're looking for more of a free flowing forward uphill horse. And they should really look like they're on course. You know, like we always say the trot circle at the end, we do a soundness circle. That's really what the trot should look like kind of loose and, and long and flowing and forward. And the horse is great expression. And then in the canner, again, carrying a pace that would show the judge that, you know, the horse has enough stride to get down a line, a 12 foot line or 12 foot stride and just looking like they're going to a fence instead of looking down or getting a little low or going a little slow. We like them to be a little freer through the canner. So it's, it's just kind of lightened everything up and the horses are happy to go forward. They love it. They really enjoy this class and they move beautifully. It's, it's super neat. Perfect. Yeah. Good question, Liz. (laughs) I sometimes have them every once in a while. So uh, let's see, can we just do kind of like an overview of your training program? So like, what are your key components and principles when it comes to your training? Well, first and foremost, the horse always comes first. I mean, that's like number one in my program, you know, as far as 
good health, good feed, proper riding, fitness, you know, all of that just kind of comes together. That's always been a huge part of my program. I always get complimented on how my horses look and that they look very healthy, I guess say, and they're sound. And that's always been a big priority to me. And as far as the clients, you know, just we try to make it fun and we try to use it always like a learning experience. You know, we try not to put too much stress on things. We just try to take the good and the bad. Like if there's bad, we learn from it. If it's good, we celebrate it, you know, and, and we just have a really good time with it. And that's, that's pretty much it. Not too complicated. (laughs) I think that's sometimes the best though. And I know Jen and I talk all the time about if it's not fun and you're not enjoying it, then why are we doing it sort of thing? So Exactly. I just feel like if you're all in a good place and you're giggling and laughing and supporting each other, and I have more amateurs than youth. I kind of shifted into that a couple of years ago and my ladies are hilarious. Like they, (laughs) the stuff they come up with is just (laughs) nuts. Like the other day I told the ladies they were having a pole lesson and they kind of snickered <laughs> and I was like, what are they doing? So they're like, don't come down to the barn, like wait a minute before we got to get it all set up. And I'm like, I'm the one setting up the poles. It's your pole lesson. So I get out there and they got, they went to Goodwill and got sparkly tops like disco. They turned on this stripper music And they put a standard in the middle and they put a whole routine together and they're like, this is our pole lesson. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And I was like, that's what I love. You know what I mean? That's what it's all about. And so my ladies keep me laughing all the time. So I love it. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, 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 they're they're up to no good most of the time. (laughs) How has your training program and your barn and whatever you want to say there evolved over the years. You said that you do more amateurs now than youth, but as far as maybe how you work with the horses and your customers has, if you look back at like 20 years ago or whatever, what would you say is like the biggest change for you there? The biggest change for me was switching from, you know, a lot of youth heavy to more amateur. I feel like that worked well for my lifestyle you know, as far as having a lot of like, we had a lot of pony kids when I started a lot of children's hunters and junior hunters. And it just seemed to be really hard for me to focus. I'm more of like a boutique situation now where it's a little smaller group and more amateur heavy, but I still have a youth right now, but that's, you know, as far as my style of training. I think it's evolved over the years. I think you keep tweaking every year is different. I never feel like it's totally the same, but I feel like my style has changed a little bit with my, you know, just gaining more knowledge and, and dealing with different horses and different situations like that. So I feel like I'm, I don't know, like probably more heavily into the basics and not skipping steps. I think when you're young, you just kind of want to get to the horse show and get your people going around and win, 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 win. And now I'm more like, I love being home. I love doing grassroots stuff. I love piddling and putzing with the horses. I just kind of never skip a step and lay the foundation. And that's kind of where I am at today. I'm a little slow. I don't go to like a ton of horse shows anymore. I do a lot at home and then go to a few shows to see kind of where I'm at. So it doesn't feel as show heavy, I guess. Do you think your training program with your horses has, obviously we we all have to evolve with the trends that's going in the show pen, but is it your changes over time, a bigger factor because of like you just maturing and thinking differently versus what's going on in the show pen trends? Yeah, I try not to get caught up in any of that. Like I just stay in my lane. I always have, and I just don't get too caught up in too much trendiness of this, that, and the other thing, you know, like I just try to do what I feel is right. And I learn from the people that I look up to and just keep trying to gain more knowledge. I just keep trying to get better and try to keep learning and all that. But 
I definitely stay in my own lane for sure and never let anything like really influence me outside of what I'm doing. So who does somebody like Lainey DeBoer look up to? <laughs> well, it's different. Like I love watching Jason and Charlie and how they do High Point and I'm friends with JD Yates. So I love to watch the roping. I watch the raining. I'm really good friends with the McQuays and the McCutcheons. And as far as like hunter wise goes, I watch a ton. Like when I'm at the ring, you know, there's this woman named Amanda Steed, who's just, I watch her school her horses and it's just so interesting how her approach is. And I try to take things from that. And Scott Stewart is like kind of a legend. And I just study him and John French and Tori Colvin, you know, I just, any chance that I can, if I'm at a show where any of those big guns are at, I sit in the schooling area and I watch them school their horses. I like watching the show ring, but it's the schooling part that's special. Or I'll watch anything that's online. If there's a horse show like indoors, I'll watch it and I study it and I'll watch it on the replay on Clip My Horse or whatever I have to do. But yeah, I just like to learn. But you can learn from other disciplines. I think that's what AQHA has done for me is opened up my mind to watching Charlie and Jason like lead change one at the world show in the screen area or, you know, watching the trail like Whitney and any of those, Chad, they, I just sit and see what they do. Blake, it's just intriguing to me. So I don't know. Everybody kind of influences me, I guess. I always think that's a great thing. And what I find cool though, is like a lot of our DIYers that we've talked to in the past, Jenna, or even in your amateur group, they're always talking about how they go out and watch other disciplines like YouTube videos or just that sort of thing. Cause that's how they're teaching their horse at home. And I just, I think that's interesting and a very valid point to get across that. We don't have to like stick to the one thing to get your horse to do something. Yeah. I will say like, for me, I was a terrible lead changer and I, by no means do I think I'm a great lead changer, but I learned a very bad process or poor process in the hunter world. You kind of just go to the end of the ring and jerk them to the inside and kick them with your outside leg. And when I started watching Jason and Charlie and really, and they helped me as well, I was just, now my approach is so different, bringing the young ones along and putting a lead change on them. And I just feel like that taught me so much and it made me a better rider watching them do that because that's what they specialize in. And I could incorporate in my program too. So there's so many things like that, like the trail, the balance that they have through those obstacles is it's the same for jumping. You just lift it off the ground. So it's just, I don't know. It's kind of fun. Yeah. When it comes to watching practice pens, I didn't realize with the world cup that was in Omaha, the show jumping dressage and, oh, yeah. you know, that was in Omaha this in April. I didn't know that like the first few days there, you could go and watch the open schooling of those guys. I'm like, holy cow. I would rather watch that than even the events going on. I'm like to be able to watch like these Grand Prix, you know, dressage horses being schooled or the show jumpers or whatnot. And that's not an event I do by any means. So, but I'm like, wow, you know, like what amazing experience that would have been. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause like, I'll go to those things and watch the dressage. I'm more involved in the dress. I just, I love the show jumping. Don't get me wrong, but when you see those people school their dressage horses it is just unbelievable. And it makes me get all like welled up in tears almost. Cause you're just like, Oh my gosh, like how did Amazing. they do that? Yeah. I know <laughs> so cool. I read several that were like, you know, watching some of those competitors, like school straightness, like how much yeah. with the dressage, they schooled straightness and mm -hmm. something we pay a little bit of attention to, especially with pattern horses, but not, not even on like in the same stratosphere of what they do. I'm like, yeah, that, that would yeah. be really cool. That's on my bucket list. Now I'm going to, I want to go watch those schoolings. Yes. Yes. Do <laughs> learn a lot. Yeah. So we want to dive into kind of with your TikTok video series and how you are preparing for championship events, which I know is what your TikTok series is about. So we'll start on that, like break that down for us and what's your process like? So I just tried to break it up into a series. I knew I couldn't dump it out all at one big thing. Maybe on YouTube I could, but TikTok is a little bit different animal. It's a little quicker pace vignettes. And so I broke it up into 
just trying to figure out how my process starts with my clients. So the first part was, you know, scoring. That's where I started with the scoring was the first video. And I think that's why I chose that first was because that's the first question I ask in all of my clinics. And there's like nobody that reads the rule book. And that just kind of blows me away because there's so much good information in the rule book. And like, why wouldn't you want to know how you're being scored and, and then understanding all of the penalties that go with it? Because that is really our strategy, especially like in a Huntsy deck you know, a maneuver to maneuver kind of a pattern, we can really map out, you know, where the penalties will lie and kind of avoiding them. And so scoring to me was just like the obvious thing to start with, because I think people kind of thought that maybe I would be getting into more of like yanking your stirrups or taking your reins away or two pointing or whatever. But, and I think when I said scoring in the first video, they're like, wow, this is going to be different because I do think my approach is a little different. <laughs> it's a little more study-ish, you know, like study isn't like studying, you know, and we study the rule book. I think that's huge. So we start with the scoring and then I moved into goals because I'm a big goal setter. So at the beginning of the year, I have all my clients just write down in an email what their short and long-term goals are. And it just helps me, you know, be a better trainer knowing where they're at, you know, it's funny. I think half the time they blow me away with their goals. Cause I think it's going to be one thing and it's like a total another thing. And I would have gone all year thinking that they were wanting one thing when they really were wanting another. So it just kind of opens the lines of communication of where a person's at and you really get a feel as a trainer. You can then take it from there and lay out the path. Cause we start out really early in the process with that. And then that will kind of dictate what horse shows they go to and how we prepare them and, and get them ready. So they can kind of flower in the right time as far as the championship shows. And then I moved into boot camp. I was going to leave boot camp till last, but I think people are getting kind of antsy to see something in action. That's so the internet for you. <laughs> yeah. And we're in the middle of boot camp right now. So I was like, you know what, let's, and actually I started riding boot camp. I've never ridden boot camp. I've only taught boot camp, but because of these videos, I've had to dive into boot camp myself. So I was like, oh my gosh, I really let myself have it a little bit. But <laughs> it's, it's been good for me. I've learned a lot. You know, I'm like, wow, I'm really weak this way or that way, or I got to get better at this or that or whatever. But so boot camp is three days. I mainly do it for the youth, but I actually have an amateur here doing it too. And we break it up into three days. It's always a lot of fun. I have some really awesome stories, but uh, I don't know how you want to get into it. But the first day is gymnastics. And we, I just throw rails everywhere and just make it absolutely crazy. And I make them do crazy things and just wing it. You know, I do use a couple books and some exercises, but I really put some crazy stuff up. And then the second day, we just kind of break it up. You know, we, we practice the obvious, you know, if you're doing Huntsy deck, you know, you're probably going to do a walk to trot transition and pick up your posting trot. You're probably going to do a downward transition from canter to trot and you got to nail your diagonal. You know, you're probably going to do a lead change somewhere. You know, we just try to break things up and hone in on them and really make it where we have a plan, you know, and for the jumping, we do rollbacks, bending lines, you know, things that we know that are going to be on course. And we just take it one at a time. We don't put it together. And then the third day is like the most fun day because it's tomorrow, actually, 8 a.m. It's a mock horse show and they have to show up. They have to get their horses ready. They have to walk the course. I post a course just like a horse show. They have to ride in their show clothes. They have to get their horse warmed up in the ring. They've got to be ready at 8 a.m. to walk in just like a show pen and I judge them and it's fun. Like tomorrow we have a plan. So usually what I do is when they're halfway through their course, I'll like put up the radio really loud or I'll like drop something really loud or I'll just do like tomorrow. One of my ladies is going to walk in with her horse and while she's in the middle of her course, because we want to distract them. So we, I can kind of know where they are mentally. 
if they get distracted by something that small, then I know I have a little more work and I have a little time before we go to youth world. So, and talk about it. So I score them and it's usually kind of a disaster. Honestly, they kind of go in there and get jittery and nervous and they don't Mm -hmm. do so well. And that's the point. And then we talk about it. I score it and then they can do it again and they can improve their score. And that's kind of what we break it up into. And then we have a little ceremony and I give them trophies and little grab bags and stuff like that. So it's kind of like this little badge of honor when they're done. Super. Yeah. What a great, like complete concept and to fully replicate a whole horse show day. Honestly, that's genius in itself. Mm -hmm. Just, I feel like that would help with show jitters for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause they get them. They really do kind of like crash and burn (laughs) and, and then they get (laughs) mad. They get so disappointed in themselves because they've worked so hard and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's the, the world show. And I'm like, take this anger and make it good. Like, don't let this happen at world. If this made you this mad at my house, think of how much mm-hmm. is going to make you mad at the world show. So turn it into a good thing. Turn it into a aggressive thing. Think about how disappointed you are in yourself and know that you can do better and do better there this doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So it does, it shakes out all that crap. So they go and they're like fired up. You know, we talk a lot about negative experiences and putting them in a treasure chest and putting them in the treasure chest and bringing it to the world show. So when you have say a little anxiety, you can reach in your chest and pull an experience out that you learned from that. Does that make sense? Like if the kid gets a lot of anxiety and she blew boot camp, then she can be like, wow, okay, I got to get my nerves a little in check because I didn't like that feeling of blowing boot camp and I don't want to do it here. So that's kind of a little bit what we hone in on boot camp. I love it. It's so fun. It tells me a lot too. It tells me where they're at mentally because we work on mental toughness a lot. It's actually going to be one of my TikToks coming up. And it's a skill that you have to constantly work on. I constantly work on it myself and it's a muscle that you have to develop. And when I put these kids in this boot camp situation, if they start to unravel and unfold, then I've not done my job to get them prepared mentally for this. So it tells me a ton. So yeah, it's good. Good time. (laughs) There's a lot to be said for that. I think there's less like money and obviously pressure from a world show level on the line. But speaking from my amateur self, there's nothing more terrifying than writing in front of your trainer when you think she's like judging, actually judging you. I mean, like I would rather, I mean, I'm, that scares me more than going in the world show pen, to be honest, because it's like, that's the one person you do not want to disappoint in the entire world. So it's a, it's a good way to like replicate the pressure without it being with so much on the line. So very cool. Exactly. Exactly. It's a great process. So we'll see how tomorrow goes, but it's always, I don't know. I just kind of evolved. I don't know how it even came about, but it worked. I think I did it once and then everybody loved it so much. I just kept doing it. And then when this whole TikTok thing came up, I'm like, oh my gosh, boot camp! I can kind of share what we do. Everybody has a boot camp, though. I know that like, I think Robin Frid, they even rented a place out. I think they even rented like a special indoor for it. I mean, some people really go nuts with boot camp. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of fun to see everybody's take on it. We're all a little different. You know what I mean? Some people drill people, you know, like crazy. It's just a different approach. Do you do this before every major show or just the youth world or Congress? Yeah, not before Congress. Usually it's before a world show. We'll do this before a world show. Congress that's a different animal. I don't know why, you know, it's just a little bit different, but sometimes the amateurs ride with the youth in the boot camp, So they've already kind of had a little semi boot camp, and then I'll just do another quick one before we go to the world show. So yeah, it depends. Some people don't always get boot camp because they live far away and their horses stay with them and they get really bummed out. They're like, Oh, I want to go to boot camp." I'm, So I don't know, it could turn into something else. Like I was thinking maybe I could make a clinic series out of this, you know, like boot camp type of clinic. I don't know. I mean, I think this could evolve into anything really. Yeah. I absolutely think that would be something Mm -hmm. people would want to see and have. Yeah. And then I think the last couple of TikToks are, we have one called be prepared. 
you know, just talking about the preparation that it goes in all year long about, you know, studying and really doing your homework. And then I think the last one, uh, we have a mental toughness one. And then the last one's going to be about control what you can control. And that's going to be a really fun topic because I think people, there's so many things that you can control as far as like farrier and vet and, you know, soundness and your clothing and your turnout and how your horse looks. And there's so many things you can control, but then there's things you can't control. So, you know, just kind of talking about the obvious and that's, I think a lot of people miss those steps. Honestly, that's what I see. They, they just seem like they, you know, I've heard people like, oh, I just got their feet done right before we came here and now it's got a hot nail. Well, maybe get his feet done two weeks before you leave, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. Don't put yourself through that stress. Yes, exactly. There's a lot that can be avoided. Yeah. So I think even if somebody's not doing the over fences or even the equitation, your whole video series would be of value to everybody just competing in general with all the the mental toughness and preparation. That was the goal. You know, I wanted to keep it as broad as possible. So like other people could, you know, that in different disciplines take from this. And, you know, like when, remember during COVID when Jason and Charlie did the virtual horse show stuff mm-hmm. and I helped them do some of the judging. And then we would do these kind of paid like lessons that people would pay like $50 extra and you would critique their round. And it really kind of made me find out that there's so many people out there without trainers mm-hmm. and they're so thirsty they're just like sponges and they were so fun to talk to and they were so grateful. And a lot of them were in just situations where they're just in a rural area. They don't have a truck and a trailer, stuff like that. I mean, you forget that we get in our little world of world show Congress, world, Florida, you know, Georgia, blah, 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 blah. But there's some people out there that just want to learn and have fun and have different tools in their tool belt. And maybe they get to one show a year and they don't have a trainer. So that's kind of what I was aiming to, you know, like trying to make it so broad that anybody can, even if you did saddlebreds, you'd still understand it because it's all the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think running this amateur Facebook group, it's a pretty, I don't know, Liz, what will we say? Active, vibrant vivacious yes opinionated well I love my amateurs <laughs> all the above all I the love above. my amateurs and it's a mix of anything from like local open show DIYers up to world show level DIYers and then world show competitors that have six horses and training all across the country you know like it's a great mix of everybody but I personally think that a trainer could make almost an entire full-time income just off of like, if you're willing to help, you know, critique lessons and give feedback and, you know, like just issue, because there are so many people that are looking for help and instruction, but don't have either a trainer locally to them or for whatever reason, it's just not in the cards for them. Yeah. I was thinking like when we first talked about this Patreon, when this first got brought up, my friend who's a dog trainer is like, I do a ask the dog trainer. And then I'll do a video. I'll ask, I'll let one person ask one question and then I'll make a video on it. And I was like, she's like, you should do that. And I was like, yeah, maybe, you know, that that'd be really fun. If somebody's having a little bit of trouble teaching their horse something, maybe I can, you know, put it on a video and help them or look at their videos, you know, just something, but Mm -hmm. there's something there. I I don't know how I'm going to get there yet, but I do feel like that there's a need and a want and I'm a teacher by nature. I just love it. So, and I love helping people out. So I think it would be very well received. Yeah. yeah be fun. I just don't know how to go about it. Yeah. I know even in your amateur group, people have been wanting more virtual, like mm-hmm. clinic true. type options, but yeah, I don't know. I think it is something that our industry could very well put together something and if somebody wanted to of, yeah yeah I would even do like Brad Jewett had brought me down to Texas to help him with a lot of his youth kids and his amateurs and it was I think it was right before youth world and then he wanted I think another one with his kid the next year and he goes instead of flying you down here what if I just put you on wi-fi and we'll do facetime and you can give her a lesson and we so I I called her and she had her earbuds in. So he had, 
I could see it on her phone. You know, he held it while she rode. And then I gave her a lesson virtually. It was so crazy and it worked really well. There was maybe like a slight delay, but it was awesome. It's so doable with technology now. You never know. So there's a possibility there too, you know, doing lessons and I don't know. It's kind of endless. So hopefully I just like to help people. Really cool. Yeah. So we'll tell people if this is something you're interested in with Lainey, then yeah. reach out to her and let her know. So that, you know, yeah, let me know to, on my Facebook page to get it yes, done. It yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know that would be a huge service that people would be jumping all over just because we've had several conversations about this already. Cool. For mm-hmm. People that would like it, but that's awesome. Yeah. And I know we wanted to get into some equitation specific stuff, but before we jump into that topic, is there anything you would like to say on it as far as like how you peak your horses differently for just regular shows versus, you know, world or championship level shows? Like how do you manage your horse side of the business there? You know, each horse has its own agenda, right? Like you, you can't just like make them the whole group do the same thing. So I try to figure out where the like perfect example is we just got a horse imported to us from Europe and he's going to do very little showing because he kind of needs some basic stuff. But then I'm already looking at Florida next January where, you know, some of these horses we get imported, they can go straight to the horse show. I just kind of keep listening to each horse and then I'll kind of make a plan for them depending on their personality and where they're at in their training level. And I'll pick the horse shows that I think they'll do well at, or it will be a positive experience. Like there was just a show in Minnesota last weekend and I have one horse. It wouldn't have been beneficial for him. It probably would have set him back because it was a little bit of an odd environment. So I just sat it out with him. But then I had another horse who's kind of a veteran and can just show up and go right in the ring. And I brought him instead. So I just kind of constantly read that side of it and just find basically throughout the year, we just find the best experience possible for the, for a good outcome to keep it just positively moving forward for each horse. And it, it's like a little bit of a custom program for each horse and, and depending on what they can handle and kind of factoring in the goals as well. So I find that refreshing and interesting that you are able to put that horse first instead of forcing your clients to take their horses out and about if it's not going to be good for them. So thank you. I appreciate that. And it it's really, I laugh about it myself because I've been doing this for so long that I've made a lot of bad choices to make good decisions now. Does that make sense? Like when I was younger, I probably would just load them all up and go to the horse show and everybody went to the same show and blah, 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 blah. And you get a lot of unhappy horses and a lot of frustrated people. And so that's when I went from uh, having 25 clients to 10 clients and more boutique, slower, more personalized situation. That just happens to work for me. I am not a person that can do things on a larger level, but I like it on a smaller level. And yeah, we just, you know, it just, the horse just kept coming up, bubbling up first. And once the horse was happy, And on the right path, the clients were satisfied having fun. And then it all kind of gelled and went in the right direction. I had a lot less drama and lost less meltdowns and, you know, (laughs) it happens. It really does. And, and now I, I don't have that at all. I haven't had that in a long time, so it's all good. But a lot of bad decisions led to better decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Process of gaining wisdom as we get older. For sure. Thank God I got there. Yeah. On the trainer, like running your business side, was it difficult for you to figure out your sweet spot on number of customers? And then of course, I'm sure when you decrease the number of horses you have in training, you also have to then increase your prices in a way. So just for any listeners that may be like young trainers or young professionals, you know, like how was that kind of thought process for you, for you to find that good spot for you? Or was it, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in the making? So I had a pretty crazy business. I would say there were at least like 25 or so. And I was pretty miserable, honestly, very miserable. I was trying to have a family, trying to get pregnant. And it was just really a tough life. And 
I actually sought the advice from a life coach and I sat down and I'm like, I'm really unhappy. I don't know how I got here and I don't know what to do with it, you know? And she was so cool. Cause she's like, well, you're going to have to start over. And I'm like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> and she goes, no, you're going to have to wipe the slate clean. And then you're going to have to take into your life what works for your lifestyle. And I'm like, that's professional suicide. There's no way. And she's like, okay, well, let's, you know, look at this. So the next 10 years, she kind of helped me guide myself through it. And she'd say, you know what you have to do? You have to start over. And I'm like, no, you know, I'll get an assistant trainer. I'll get more help. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll get a bigger trailer. I'll get, you know, I tried everything and I was more miserable than ever. And finally she's like, you know what to do. And I did. I let everybody go. I let all my clients go. I gave them several months and I found them new trainers. And I just slowly brought back what worked for me. And it's funny because a lot of those people are back. Does that make sense? Like uh, just a couple of amateurs are back in my life. They've been 20 year clients, but I, I had to take a step back and start over because I think when you're young, you just instantly think I need as many horses as possible. And I need to take as many to the show because that's what will like validate me. That will make me look important. And I'll look like I'm a you know, big shot and I got all these people, but you just burn yourself out. You don't train well. You, you start to cut corners, you get burned out. And I needed to kind of step away from that because that's just what I saw other trainers doing. I didn't really think anything. I just thought that's what you did. I didn't know you could do it a different way. So when I stepped away from it, that's when it all kind of made sense. And I started to add to it and keep it small and manageable. And that changed everything. It changed me being more successful and my clients happier, my horses happier, my life better, you know, with two children. Yeah. I could be present a little bit more than just being at shows all the time. So yeah, it was the best thing I ever did. Quality over quantity. That's kind of what my mantra is. I could just imagine that being quite scary, letting go of, you know, all the clients that you basically worked and built up just to like, not have nothing, but like nothing at the same time. And then go. (laughs) it was so weird. I was terrified terrified. And I did it all in one day. And I will tell you, like, my clients were fantastic. They were like, I get it. You want a family? I see what they know when you're miserable. They they got it. A lot of more moms, you know, they were super there were maybe one or two that weren't real thrilled with the whole thing. But I really worked with them to make it a smooth transition. But and it was really weird, because when I knew it was the right decision was by when I was on about the sixth client of the day, I gained energy. Like I got a little like excited. I started to feel lighter. I've started to just get excited. I don't know how to describe it, but I didn't get sad about it. I got happy about it. And because I think it just opened up everything and so many possibilities and paths are in front of me. And I realized that in the show world, you can go any path. You can make this whatever you want. It's not just one set thing. You can create the business however you want to do it, any model that you want. So it just, she was right from the get-go. Day one, she told me, you're going to have to wipe the slate clean. It just took me a while to get there. And I had to get there on my own terms. And and I did. I kind of hit rock bottom, honestly. And as far as frustration and just, not knowing what to do. And, and now I I just can't imagine anything else. I I love my business. I love my people. I love my horses. I love my workers, everybody. That whole conversation right there, I feel like is a very, it's a golden nugget of this entire inner. I don't know if this is an interview, but that's such power for advice for anybody, young professionals trying to get started in the horse world. And maybe even some of us crazy amateurs too, because we can (laughs) try to be doing what everybody, the industry, what you think the industry is telling you need to be doing and get burnt out yourself. So you see a lot of that. 
And that's when people, we lose people in our industry. Mm -hmm. We lose clients and people walk away and it's happening a lot. (laughs) Yeah. You see a lot of people get burned out. They maybe could be potentially incredible clients and they just get super burned out. So it's, yeah, it's, it's all a balance. Right. But I needed help. I got that from working with a life coach. It wasn't, I just didn't come up with a, you know, it was years and years of understanding me and my position and and my personality and what I, what made it work for myself, you know, what I thrived in the environment that I thrived in. And I was in the opposite environment that I really truly was, you know, deep down, I actually did like a, it's called a personalysis. They do it for a lot of corporate companies and you learn about your personality, how you thrive, you know, when you don't do well, chaos and everything. I had to get to know myself in who I was and the environment that I did well in. And then I could kind of map out my business. Does that make sense? And I think when you're young, you never take the time to do that. You just think lessons, money, horse shows, you know, sales, go, 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 world championships, trophies. And you never really sit and figure yourself out. So. So as somebody that's pretty forward thinking with what you can do in the industry and things you could benefit has the idea of being a quote unquote life coach for young horse trainers ever popped into your brain? I have mentored a lot of people like perfect examples, Jesse Johnson, Jessica Johnson used to ride with me since she's been nine years old. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've had a couple of my students turn professional and they call me all the time and I give them tons of advice. And, but yeah, I would love like a mentorship program. You know, I, I do a little bit through professional horsemen were available. And I know there's a mentorship program through NSBA, but yeah, I think that's, it's scary because I'm seeing a lot of these young people and I see what I was going through and I've told them about my journey And they're like, wow, like, I don't know if I could do that. And I'm like, you'll know when the time's right. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, like, I didn't think I could either. (laughs) Yeah, there was no way. It was like Chinese to me at first. But (laughs) you'll have, as you grow, you'll figure it out. I was mentored early in my career by um, Jason Martin. And I remember when I I had won my first Congress championship, I won a Congress championship pretty quickly, and which isn't normal. Usually you you know, you're, you got to bat away at it for a while in the open division. And I stepped up and won a big class. And then I got really popular. Like everybody's like, Oh, I wanted to ride my horse. So I went to Florida and I caught road everything I could. I mean, everything, everybody came up to me. You want to ride my horse? You want to ride my horse? Yep. 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 And I remember Jason Martin pulled me aside. I didn't even know him that well. And he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, (laughs) I'm just, I'm just like making money and I'm getting my name out there. And he goes, you're looking like a fool because you're getting on everything and you're it's quality, not quantity. You're better off on three great ones than 20 bad ones. And they're just asking you to ride, 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 ride. And you're saying, yes, 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 yes. You said be a little pickier. And I, that stuck with me for a really long time for the rest of my career. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of telling the judge, you're riding a couple not so nice horses just to make money. It you're better off on one good one. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Especially earlier in your career. So that was helpful too. I got definitely some advice along the way through mentor people who I mentored me for sure. And they clearly were doing it right. Cause cause high points, high point. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those guys yeah, are terrible, terrible operations. Yeah. yeah. They're they 20 no steps success. ahead of everybody. <laughs> so. Yeah. Wow. Lots of wisdom there for sure. <laughs> All right. I want to dig into equitation real quickly yeah. before we sure. let you go. Cause we've already taken almost an hour of your time, mm-hmm. but what are the key elements to focus on in training performance as it comes to just hunt seat equitation and the AQHA circuit in 2023? Well, again, we're going to go back to the scoring system because this is the way I look at it. And this is the way I've always looked at it. And this is why I think my people have always done well in that class, because you got to look at the scoring system. You're, you're judged per maneuver, correct? And it's a plus three to a minus three per maneuver. And then you have an overall score of zero to five. If you have a strong position, if your foundation of your position 
is solid as a rock, heels down, you know, correct angles, correct rain length, eyes up, natural, and you're you learn to be effective on your horse. We call it quietly effective. You're only it's like gaining points. You know what I mean? You're ahead of the pack. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. I just feel like some people just get so caught up in the maneuver side of it. Oh, I gotta do this so but they don't do it well because their position is weak. So they maybe get like a plus one. You want a plus three, you know, like we do the numbers game. We try to plus, 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 plus. So if you do come into a place where maybe you have a little bit of a hard time, you plus so many places that it won't really affect your score too much. Does that make sense? So I see when I judge, I see these weak positions improper positions as far as like heels not in the right place or their seat is in the right place their arm isn't in the right place it's it drives me a little nuts because those are kind of like you're giving up points by just having a solid position will will put you in a better space so that's what i see the most and i think what comes with a strong position then you become more of an effective rider and then when you become an effective rider, you can complete the maneuver better. So, you know, that's for me, I, I like these natural effective riders that get the job done versus a stiff posed heels down to the ground, arched back, you know, stiff, disconnected, too much bridle, big spurs. That makes me nuts. I I want to see a nice soft bit and a small spur and a leg that's actually has contact and rider that's riding their horse into a nice shape and frame and they're bending them and they're supple and they're malleable and because all of that translates to equitational offenses, which that's the purpose of the class is the hunt seat deck is like the stepping stone to equitational offenses. So that's the stuff I want to see in the hunt seat deck. And I, I don't see enough of it right now. It You'd see it at the top level. Like Naya Kearns is ridiculous. She's just amazing. Like there's some riders out there that are just incredible. And then I see this pack of people that go in a little bit on the weaker end of it. And I feel like they haven't done their homework. Does that make sense? They haven't, they haven't read the books to find out what the, or even read the rule books in the rule book, like literally like how many degrees that your hand has to be. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's all there. Your rain length, everything. Do you think some writers benefit by like a very exceptionally broke solid horse? Or is that pretty easy from a judge's perspective to pick up the difference between like an effective writer versus somebody that's perched on a, you know, like a soldier of a horse? That's a really good question because the new scoring system, it's not new anymore. I guess it's been here a couple of years, but it really does benefit a person that maybe doesn't have that like robotic horse. Perfect example is that like, I remember one time there was this girl that you could tell the horse was a little bit green, you know, but it was, she had such a strong position. She really could guide it around quite nicely. And I remember it picked up the canner and just fell in a little, like maybe fell to the inside. And she just like scooped it up and kind of slightly pushed it over and shaped it the right way. And for me, that's more credit earning because I'm seeing them deal with something that was imperfect and correcting it and giving the horse a good school, like not even a school, but a good teaching, like, nope, I need you over here. And and I'm like, dang, that's awesome. Like, that's another plus, you know, for me. And that's what I want to see in the equitation. I want to see them being present. I don't want to see just that horse with the headset and the big bit and the loose rein and then somebody just sitting up there and, but the horse does it perfectly, you know, like robotically, I guess I, that makes me a little nuts. I want to see feel. I want to see their brain working. I want to see them reacting to their horse. I want them, you know, the best equitation when I'm ever judging is when I can see that what the plan is, this writer's telling me what their plan was and their maybe things went off plan and how they kind of rallied to fix it. Does that make sense? That's credit earning for me. Is there a difference in your mind? And I don't, you don't want to speak for all judges by any means, but between 
you know, like you have a more hunter background, but somebody that comes from a more Western background when they're judging the equitation, everybody has tastes, of course, but do you think the judging is overall moving in this direction like you're speaking of, or is it still kind of depends on what pen of judges you might get? I know at world show level, it's different because they do try to, you know, like have very correct examples of the rule book. Yeah, I think so. Like, I love it when I go to judge a show and they're like, oh, I can't wait to sit next to you and talk about the class after, you know, I guess, you know, just bouncing off ideas. What do you think of this? Or if you have a writer that does that, what do you think of that? I, I think that overall, the judges are on the same page, the all around judges, we might not see eye to eye, but all the time, but that's okay. You know, that's all right. They might appreciate things that I don't appreciate for very specific reasons. You know, like maybe that's more important to them in their hierarchy of things than me. I'm coming at it from an or fence perspective and they're coming at it maybe from more all around perspective. And I think that's super healthy either way, you know, and that's what balances out the, the judges panel. And I really love, especially like I was judging one time with Holly Hover and we weren't on the same page, but we were pretty darn close, but it was so fun to be able to talk about it. And be, I'd be like, Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. That's why you like that one. And you know, well this, so it's, it's, it's a fun conversation, I guess it's, but my favorite thing, honestly, is do you remember, I don't know, you're, I'm probably showing my age, but there was a girl named Elizabeth Borders. Mm-hmm. She did the all around and she had this little all around horse and she did the hunt seat act and she was just unbelievable. Her position and the way that she presented her horse to go around the way he did like an English horse in the proper way. Honestly, that was more credit earning than almost like a big hunter, you know, cause that was a harder thing to do. And she had such a beautiful position and she was so natural. And she used to show a lot against Jessica Johnson when she was an amateur. Those two would kind of bat it back and forth. And I could really appreciate, I just loved it. I just thought it was so cool. She really did such a beautiful job bridging. When somebody can bridge that, like Naya does the same thing. She can do the horsemanship in the act. It's a pretty awesome thing. I love it, especially on an amateur. Yeah, it's really fun. The subject of having a little bit smaller horse that Elizabeth had, I know it gets caught, it always is brought up, I think, like in my Facebook group and stuff is like the Western-y type horse in the equitation versus like a big hunter. I think at the world show level, particularly in AQHA, you see much like bigger moving horses standing out. But where, as a judge, where do you kind of fall in like how, does the horse type play much of a role in this class or not? If they have a more all-around horse, if they ride it properly and it goes around connected in a frame without its head too low and it's looking where it's going and it's forward and I don't care if it's 13 hands. Honestly, I really don't. As long as they're riding it correctly from maneuver to maneuver and that's all that really matters to me. I think it's, you know, like the Elizabeth Borders, the Katie Kirschka's, the Nayas, they've, they've figured it out, you know, how to bridge, go from Western to English. And I like the fact that they, it's respectful of what this is, you know, it, it is the precursor to equitational offenses. So it is a different, it's, it's hard to, you know, switch your horse over, but I think I, I commend people who can do that because it's not an easy thing to do. But yeah, horse size does not matter to me. Just proper riding. That's all that matters. Like they really could come out on a pony. And if they were really awesome, I would be credit earning the whole time. Doesn't matter. I like the concept of just respecting the event and what its intention is supposed to be. So even if you have a smaller horse, but you're riding it like it's supposed to be going over fences eventually, then. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly it. That's all it boils down to. Liz, you got any questions on the X stuff? I know we've taken up a ton of time today, so. No, I think I'm good on the X. Yeah, no, it's very insightful. And I always wished I could be that, you know, dainty, perfect position rider. And it takes a lot for me in that little saddle to ever get anything right. So I refuse <laughs> to ride in it most of the time. <laughs> Probably doesn't help me at all, but that's all right. 
That's okay. I can't ride in a Western saddle to save my life. <laughs> I'm terrible. Just terrible. It's like a running joke. <laughs> so to each his own. Yeah. I was like, it takes all kinds <laughs> to make the world go around, right? right. Yeah. Stay in your lane. <laughs> awesome. Well, as we wrap up here, where can people find you on your social media, your TikToks, Facebook, anything, any contact information you want to share, anything else you want to get out? Before we wrap up. Well, I don't know if I've really figured out the social media thing, honestly. I'm still <laughs> kind of figuring it out. I mean, pretty much it's Lainey DeBoer is it's very generic. It's under I haven't even figured out how to do like an athlete page on Facebook. I'm pretty lame that way. So I need some help. But my TikToks are under Lainey DeBoer. I think my Instagram is Lainey DeBoer. I haven't figured out YouTube. It's under Dreamfield, which is my bar name, but I'm trying to fix all this stuff. So I just started this series and then it just kind of started morphing into more. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I better clean up my act. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. It's a stressful thing to do. Very stressful. You're going to need a, like a digital social media video creator manager yes, assistant I here. Soon. I know you I have do. your daughter right now. Yeah, but she's going off to school. She's her junior year at Chapman and she's going to California. So she's out of here pretty soon. So I need, yeah, I need a kid that loves this stuff and I can help them for free at the horse show. (laughs) I was like, I foresee this getting very large for you if that's the direction you want to go. Cause I know there's a need for all of all these things we've talked about today. So yeah, for sure. It's kind of, I'm kind of winging it actually. So that's the best way. Yeah. Yeah. See what happens. All right, Elaine. Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you. Yes. Thank you, Thank you so much for having me. That was super fun. And yeah, it was really neat to talk to you guys. I like meeting new people. So yeah, it's all good. You had a lot of great insight. Is it one of these that I, some of them I'll listen to like five times because I can't always capture everything. But every time I listen to it, I'm like, it's so much wisdom. Oh, well, good. It's years and years and years. <laughs> Better pay off somewhere. Yeah. You're not a day over 21. Come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very sweet. All righty. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. All right. That'll be your class. Bring them in and line them up.